0: everyone and welcome to this week's episode of social work radio with me your host vince pate once again and always we are joined by our co-host tilly baden tilly my friend how the devil are you how have things been since you were last aboard the good ship swr hello
1: everyone well it's back to reality for me today vince i've um Got back from my two and a half weeks on leave, um, first day back at work today. Um, But I had a lovely holiday. I was in Tenerife for just under a week and it was lovely. It was one of those really relaxing holidays where I just sunbathed, went to the spa, laid by the pool. It was really nice weather. It was when there was storms and everything in the UK. So um, I was very lucky to escape that. But it was hard going back to work today coming back to all those emails, trying to remember IT passwords and just being faced <laughs> with a huge to-do list. So um, yeah, not no longer in holiday mode. I'm back to the grind, back to reality.
0: It's hard when you come back off holiday, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You never know quite what you're going to face as well when you come back. I mean, I don't have a caseload anymore, so it's not like cases are in disarray, but there's still a lot of things that I need to do. And just to remember basic things about your job and who you are and what you do Um, because I didn't really think about work at all while I was off which was really good I haven't had a holiday like that for a long long time so that was very positive although it was a bit of a jolt to the system today when I came back
0: I think having time off like that can also throw work into stark relief. And you're very lucky, you know, you love your employee. You've been there a long time. You're very settled. You're in a job that you want. And, you know, yeah. you're so skillful and experienced and intelligent and confident in your work that you don't need to be there. You're not trapped in that job. You could easily go and work elsewhere, given you, your repertoire and your skill set that you have within our profession. So you're a lucky, but even when you, you value your job and, you, and you're very good at it like you are and, and you enjoy it, it can still throw the trials and tribulations of work into stark relief when you've had a nice time off, when you haven't thought about work. It's almost, you become normalized by the pressure of work and having that time off and coming back, it can can show a different contrast to things, can it not?
1: Oh, it can. I'm just now waiting for my next holiday. But luckily <laughs> I don't have too long to wait because this weekend I'm off to Newcastle to yeah. for your birthday. So very looking much for looking forward to that. So I know um, I turned 40. I'm
0: 40 on Saturday.
1: I know, I know. But we've got a good weekend planned. So I'm we looking have, forward I've, to
0: it. I've planned a suitable weekend for my nearest and dearest, obviously you and uh Our manager and editor here is coming up, Nick, and our columnist, Millie Glass, is coming up as well. And my best friend, Jason, and my other best friend, Dan, are going to be out. And um, you're going to be meeting my kids. You'll be seeing my children. They're coming around for party tea. And my mother and stepfather's coming around as well, and they're bringing the puppy dogs. I mean, I think you're more excited than me, are you not, Tilly, at the plethora of events that I've laid on for you?
1: I mean, yeah, I can't wait to meet the the dogs. I'm not gonna lie, that's gonna be the highlight of the trip. But no, um, no, it'd be really good to see everyone and, and meet all your your family and friends.
0: Yeah, listeners. My mother has just got um my mother has just got two miniature dash Hund, two miniature sausage dog puppies. They are called Henry and Hattie. And they are 10 year old, and I went to see them last this ten last week. Ten, 10 week old, 10 week old. I just said, day? I am tired. No, you said listeners. 10 years. Oh, you God, yeah. No te- yeah, yeah. I, I am tired, by the way, listeners. I had a difficult night's sleep last night. So do forgive me in advance if I make the odd slip. So just forget that the puppy dogs that I want to see on Saturday were, in fact, 10 weeks old and not. Ten years old, so yeah, that was my weekend. It was all about puppy dogs, but yeah, on the big four roll this uh, this Saturday. So, listeners, you know, send in your birthday wishes and think of me. Um, you know, celebrating my birthday this coming weekend.
1: Absolutely, looking forward to it.
0: So let's crack right on with this week's podcast. Then we've picked a. We've picked a relatively gentle one to ease you back into the ways of social work. You know, we've we've talked about tragedy and death and disaster and scandal and learning opportunities and reviews and all sorts of bit too much on this podcast at times. So we like to balance these things out with a more light-hearted affair when we can. So this week's podcast follows on from an opinion column that we ran on Monday. Now, we had uh, our friend Millie Glass stepping in for you whilst you were sunning yourself up on the lounger there, Tilly. Uh, So this week's topic was, which celebrity really needs a social worker in their lives right now? Um, our friend Millie Glass went for Meghan and Harry. She believed that uh, Meghan and Harry, uh, the uh, the royal couple, could have done with a social work with her life. I'm a good friend. Matt B was talking about potentially Will Smith, potentially Alec Baldwin. But in general, his view was that we needed a social work team based on Hollywood Boulevard. And mine, well, I'm not going to share mine right now because we will get into that topic and the celebrity that I'm going to choose and decide needs a social worker in due course. So what we're going to do on this week's show is me and Tilly are both going to pick two celebrities that we believe could do with a social work intervention. We are going to set out the reasons why those celebrities need the aforementioned intervention, what plans we would put in place, what interventions we would do, and essentially how we would help them turn their lives around and empower them to make meaningful, long-lasting change in their lives or potentially just mitigate the trauma or pain they're going through and help soothe their lives somewhat. So you, my friend, we're going to go to each. We're going to try and keep these under 10 minutes each. So I'm going to kick it over to you first, my friend. Which celebrity do you think really needs a social work intervention and why?
1: Okay so I mean I deliberated a lot about which celebrities I was going to choose because let's face it there are a lot of celebrities out there who could probably use some social work intervention but my first one has to be good old Britney Spears. I have loved Britney since I was a child she was the I grew up listening to her music she was a pop idol of the 90s and noughties and Bless her. She's, she's fallen off the rails many, many times uh, throughout her life. Um, and I mean, I was so excited when she got free of her conservatorship, um, which ended last year um, when her, her father was managing her money really on a very short leash. And mm. she wasn't really allowed to do very much at all. Um, and I was definitely part of the Free Britney campaign. But now that she's got her freedom and it's all returned to her, things are starting to crumble a little bit for Britney. Um, she's she's going through quite a bit of divorce at the moment. She often posts quite concerning um, posts on her Instagram, I think, I was just Googling her and today the, the latest one that she, she's done is a video of her dancing with kitchen knives which has caused oh, outrage and um, concern for her well-being even though she's saying that they are Halloween accessories people are sort of saying that that's probably not, not the case um, so yeah I think Brittany Brittany needs a parent or a good friend um, doesn't seem like she's got that in her life and she's she never seems like she's got anyone decent to confide in anyone that's got her true best interests at heart people always seem to be clamoring for her her fame and fortune and I think that she's just been sucked into this world of celebrity at a far too young age and she just hasn't got those coping skills Um, so I would just love to be her social worker I think and just do things that are genuinely in her best interest with no agenda and provide her with guidance and advice and support her to deal with the trauma and healing of of being restricted for so long and she's she's been through a lot of things and uh, mental health issues in her life and i think she just needs that support so that would be that'd be my first celebrity that i would love to to get my claws into and um to to give her some genuine help and give her something back because she gave me so much during my childhood. How would you go
0: about doing that then? I mean, just to be mindful, (laughs) just to put this (laughs) out there to our listeners before we get into this. Obviously, these are just theoretical exercises, listeners. We are not implying that the people we are discussing definitely need this support. We are suggesting that in a world where we could make a difference, we would like to we don't mean this to be taken offensive it's essentially a thought exercise of this process so please do forgive us if we inadvertently offend anyone with what we're discussing we certainly don't mean this it comes from the kindness of our hearts and genuinely wanting to make a difference in the lives of those that we're identifying we don't know them personally of course all we observe of these people of what we get in the media or as tilly said there, regarding britney on social media posts but uh, this isn't meant to offend or upset it genuinely comes from a kind place. So that being said, Tilly, um, what would you do in terms of an actual intervention? How would you go about helping Brittany?
1: I think the first thing would just be building a relationship with her and getting that trust, um, that unconditional positive regard that I don't think by the looks of it that she's had much in her life or that secure attachment to anyone and just someone that she can be herself around and can can open up to, um, in that professional boundaryed context, because everyone that's in her life at the moment seems to have an agenda, and at least with with a social work intervention, our only agenda is to help the individual that we're supporting. Um, we're not going to sell their stories. We're we're boundaryed by professional ethics and and privacy and um, and everything like that. So, I think that would be the starting point. I mean. Sarah, she may need some sort of mental health interventions. We can only sort of speculate by what we see um, posted by the media and and she's certainly had mental health difficulties in the past, but it's it's hard to know without actually knowing her personally what she really needs. Um, And it's in going into territory of mental capacity. um, I mean, certainly she may need capacity assessments completed for certain things. She, she's had capacity assessments, all the equivalent of in, in the United States around the conservatorship. Um, and she was deemed that she wasn't able to manage her own affairs at one point, and then that reversed. Um, but there are certainly questions over sometimes some of her actions and and what could be perceived to be some unwise decisions there. So I think that would need unpicking as well. But to mostly just bit of life coaching and guidance I think that would be my my first thing um to do with Brittany
0: I like it I like it and what prospect do you see where where would you like to see Brittany what in terms of where she is at her life right now what would be a positive outcome you believe you could be working towards for her
1: I think she needs to step away from the spotlight Um, I think there's too much of a media circus around her and there has been her whole life. And I would like to be able to see her maintain relationships with her children and rebuild some of those relationships with her family and friends, the the good ones anyway, um, and not be drawn into the media circus that that surrounds her. I think that would be a good sign that she's doing well.
0: Right. I like it. So um, there we go. our first client in the uh, Celebrity Social Work offices is uh, Brittany. She's passed triage. Chelly. I accept your referral. We're going to get her allocated for assessment, OK?
1: Excellent. I volunteer as tribute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. Stop pinching. I know. I
1: stole your line. Sorry. <laughs>
0: Mine line. I like it, though. I like Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Well, my first choice. (laughs) Yeah, I imagine you would have guessed this before you even read it or before you even knew it. My first choice is going to be Kanye West. Yeezy. Yeah. Um, As long-time listeners of this podcast and long-time followers of my work will know, I love Kanye West. Or potentially, Tilly, it might be fair to say, and it it bloody pains me to say this. Potentially, I loved Kanye West because have you noticed that potentially over the past year or two that my, uh, my fondness for Kanye has waned and you potentially have heard me speaking about less and less of the months have gone by?
1: You have, very sadly, I mean, his actions have caused a bit of a, well, many, many, many scandals, haven't they? Um, they I mean, have. He doesn't sound like he's a very well gentleman at the moment. No.
0: And you know, I love Lana Del Rey. I think she's, I would say she's probably my favourite female artist. I think Lana Del Rey is sublime. I've followed her work for God. 15 years since she, you know, broke out um, with Born to Die, her first album. And uh, I think a, my favorite album of hers is Norman F. in Rockwell. And I think my, my favorite two songs on that are California and The Greatest. And in The Greatest, which, you know, God, was released four years ago now, that single, uh, Lala Del Rey sang Kanye West is Blonde and Gone. And I thought, how dare you say that about. Kanye, you know, two of my loves criticising one another. I don't like it, like two children fighting. Which do I choose? But I think Lala Del Rey was right there. Kanye West is blonde and gone. I mean, if you look at the downfall, he's gone from, you know, he's Yeezy brand and he's, he's, he's sort of link-ups with um, other fashion brands and his own fashion label, but particularly, you know, Yeezys, his collaboration with Adidas made him a billionaire. He was presiding over a multi-billion dollar fashion brand. We go back to 2010, and in my opinion, he produced one of the best albums of all time. I would have my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy as one of the top five albums of all time. That album is an absolute masterpiece. It is certainly, in my opinion, the best album that's come out over the past couple of decades. I think it's an absolute work of beauty and majesty. I can listen to the album end to end, and I never get bored of it. The production value, the rapping, the guests, the the lyrics, just everything about that album is just absolutely ten out of ten. A star is superb, and of course, he had a marriage. Now, well, maybe I maybe wouldn't go so far as to say his marriage to a Kardashian was the happiest of marriages. It must be certainly difficult. You know, being in a marriage that is so under the spotlight and being followed by cameras all day long where your wife's job is literally being famous whereas you've obviously got there through a great deal of talent and artistry Um, but he certainly was married and you've seen his children every day and and look at the drop off Tilly look how far things have changed over the past three years really you know he's lost his fashion deals due to increasingly bizarre and offensive comments he's collaborated with homophobes and abusers on his last album, or should I say alleged abusers, but certainly we can definitely say homophobes because baby, one of the uh, the rappers who he collaborated on his last album, Donda, was well known for making several com- homophobic comments at gigs. And then you've got Marilyn Manson, who he also had on that same album, who was, uh, I think both of those were on Jail Part 1 or Jail Part 2, um, two songs on the album. Um, you know, that was a similar time when uh, Marilyn Manson was accused of, you know, heinous sexual abuse of many different women. And um he made anti-Semitic comments during an interview with Alex Jones. And you know, I mean, the fact he was even speaking to Alex Jones is probably a sign in and of itself uh, of his fall from grace. So Kanye West has had a difficult time over these past three years. Now, yes, it has Inevitably been of his own making to a certain degree. But what we do know about Kanye is he suffers from significant mental health issues. He has been hospitalised due to these mental health struggles before. And we have seen significant periods of manic behaviour contrasting with very, very dark, depressive periods of his too. So it's always a difficult one, isn't it, Tilly, to criticise people too much when you know that they have significant mental health problems, but equally you can't condone what Kanye has been doing. So how do you find that balance between understanding and accepting the issues he's going through, but also not condoning what he's doing? It's a difficult balance, isn't it, my friend?
1: It is. And I suppose it goes back to unconditional positive regard. our fa- One of our favourite social work theories that, that we can... Respect the innate humanity and the goodness in everyone, yet condemn the behavior that they exhibit and I suppose he's the classic example of that i mean he's he's a fellow human being we 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 cherish all humans, yet we abhor some of the things that that he's said and done, and hope that he gets the help that he needs which which could be you from you, Vince. it could be from you if. Um, <laughs> If our our podcast gets to listen to the be listened to by the right people, yes, and and that's
0: that's where I think Kanye obviously he he definitely could do with an intervention. And if you just look at the drop off, I think for me in life, you can see where people are at in life by how they're dropping off in terms of their achievements, in terms of their attainments. And I think sometimes. Wildly successful people looking. I know people are probably going to think that he is Vince playing the smallest violin in the world, asking us to show sympathy for, you know, celebrities and very rich people indeed who've got a hell of a lot of privilege and entitlement. But when you're like Icarus and you've flown so close to the sun, it can be difficult when the wax melts and your wings fall. And I think someone like Panya, I mean, one of the most famous people in the world, absolute genius. And his drop-off has been very, very difficult to see. And I think, you know, just, just because just because people are rich and famous and potentially doing odious things, as Kanye has done, and hateful things, we're not trying to defend what he's done. But like you say, Teddy, I think we've still got to show people unconditional positive regard because I'm a great believer in that if you treat people how you want them to be, people will live up to that expectation of you eventually, or at least if they don't live up to it, they will try to live up to it more than they would if you treat them by the worst excesses of their behaviour.
1: Exactly. And as social workers, we have to work with people from every corner of society. Exactly. And, and I, I suppose all of us, um, every single human on this planet at some point can face difficulties and it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much privilege you have you, you can still face trauma abuse, neglect
0: hmm. and
1: and poor health whether that's physical health or mental health um, and that's a classic example no one's exempt from, from mental health difficulties
0: So what we're going to do for Kanye is we're going to have a classic intervention he's going to come home from work, come on from work, as if like he's been down the mine. Oh yeah, can you? We'll just that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. right, yeah. Yeah. I know you just have a hard day at the factory, mate, but come and sit down here. He's gonna come before whatever he's been doing, he's gonna come back. And me and Kim will be there, his ex-wife will be there, um Jay Z will be there, we'll have Beyonce there too. Um, we will have Pharrell we'll have Elton John we'll have Rihanna all those people he's collaborated with hey Paul McCartney can come along as well he's a vocabulary of Paul McCartney we're going to have all these family and friends and loved ones it's going to be Kanye we are having a classic kitchen table intervention and we're going to sit there and um, we're going to do a family group conference we're going to work out what Kanye needs because for me he's never recovered from the loss of his mum His mum, Donda, died whilst undergoing surgery in 2009, 2010. And when you watch the documentary of Kanye's, which is on Netflix, you realise just what a profound influence his mother had on him. His mother was a very intelligent woman. She worked at a university and she instilled in Kanye this great belief that he could do anything, that he was incredibly gifted, he was incredibly talented, and she was his chief supporter and I think he's never been the same since he lost his mother from his life. And that can happen to many people, Tilly, whether it's a parent, whether it's a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, family member, friend, whoever. If you lose your number one cheerleader in life and the person that got you to where you are right now, you can often feel bereft and rudderless, can you not?
1: Of course you can. Yeah, there's that loss and grief cycle is a tricky one to overcome in in any circumstance. But when it's someone that's got such a profound impact on your life, then then that's going to be difficult for anyone.
0: Particularly when they put you where you are. You know, if, if that person helped you achieve your wildest dreams and they were the wind beneath your wings and they gave you that confidence and they gave you that ability and the skill and the power to believe in yourself and to get to where you are, and they were always powering you on no matter what, No matter what Kanye did, he knew his mother was going to be there. Even if he failed, he knew she was going to be there saying, go again. She was there to console him with his failures and she was there to celebrate his victories with him. And I think that that's never really been replicated. And what happens with people like Kanye that lose that person, they try and find that elsewhere. He hasn't found it in wild success. He hasn't found it in accolades in terms of millions of album sales and awards, such as Grammys and MTV Music Awards. He hasn't found it in his fashion labels. He hasn't found it in creativity. He didn't find it in trying to start that new relationship and that family of his own. And he's lost. As Lana Del Rey sang, He's he's gone. He is gone. You know, Bring the old Kanye back is what we want because... As I say, when we go back to his high point for me in 2010, when he was releasing My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy there, there was nobody, there was no artist in the world that had his power and majesty in that time. And he's just very directionless now. He doesn't have that person in his life who genuinely wants the best for him. And like you said about Britney... You know, if you just have people hanging around you either because they want something or because they just want to blow smoke up your backside, those are not the best influences. So that's what we're going to do to Kanye. We're going to have a kitchen table intervention. Me, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Rihanna, Elton John, all, all the gang. We're going to be there. We're going to have a family conference and we're going to get Kanye back to where he wants to be. We're going to find him some real good goals in life. We're going to find what makes him happy, what will fulfill him. We're going to get him to focus on himself. And by 2025, we're coming out with a banger of an album and I'm going to get a credit for it.
1: <laughs> that's your dream come true, isn't it? That can you you work intervention.
0: There'll, there'll be a single, Kanye West featuring Vince Piat. Wow.
1: Oh, wow. I How mean i Yeah, well, you could, couldn't you, on the, the royalties from that I would. It would
0: be a banger. It would be a <laughs> banger. So there we go. That's mine. That's my one and only. I was going to do two, but I can't beat that. I've taken more than 10 minutes for Kanye. So there's my one. I don't want anyone else. I just want Kanye. But we will do two for you, Telly. if you could go on and do your second choice. So we've got Brit- – oh, I just need to add this. Are you going to accept my referral for Kanye West?
1: Of course, I think he he needs it, and you're the right person to do it.
0: Who are you going to allocate him to? I,
1: I think I had to allocate him to you. I don't yes. think anyone else knows as much about him as you do. You are
0: it, 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 a very rare a, a very yeah. rare occasion indeed when I am happy to be allocated a new case.
1: <laughs> yeah, make the uh, make the most out of that, uh, managers. You don't get that very often, do no, you? Don't. Someone you're wanting don't. some work. <laughs>
0: right. I know you have uh, you have come on to two. So um let's go on to this now. Who is your second celebrity candidate for our social work intervention?
1: So I've chosen Bruce Willis for this. Um so for those of you, I'm sure many of you will know, but but Bruce was diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia, and he's at the early onset of this dementia now and we've recently seen in the media his wife um who's come forward and said what a struggle it is um being supporting someone who's recently diagnosed with dementia Um, he's got two young children as well who are starting to have to to care for him as well and she his wife emma has said that he's not really aware of what's happening at the moment Um, So for someone, the problem is when when someone's diagnosed with dementia, and I'm talking about the average person here, Mm. there isn't a huge amount of support available to them until they reach the point when they need care and support. Um, What is really missing, certainly from from in the UK, is those early intervention services, Um, because it's a huge impact on the person and their loved ones. Um, when someone gets that sort of diagnosis and the support isn't really out there there's there's pockets of it and it but it often comes from the voluntary sector and people have to go out and fight for it and find that support and and there's no one place to get all the right information um And and there's so much that you can do in those early stages of dementia to really change someone's life and and keep them on the the straight and narrow for as long as possible. Um, Things like early care planning, setting up powers of attorney, making sure people's affairs are in order with with their wills and their living wills as well, because we need to document what their wishes are going to be um, and think about end-of-life care planning. Things that are really really difficult to to face um Mm. either yourself for yourself or or for a loved one because no one wants to think about it um but with the right support and the right guidance it can just make things a bit easier and I think it would be really lovely if if some if we could showcase this a little bit more in the public eye and obviously it would have to be with people's permission he would have to agree to it but my ideal would be that actually we would document some of this and if he if he wanted to um show the world this change that that, that happens when someone gets dementia and, and give people that guidance and support to, to say that actually you're not on your own um, this is a, a very sadly, a very, very common disease. And there are things that you can do. Um, start doing things like life story work, writing it all down so that when someone does lose parts of their memory, then they can look back and be reminded of things that they've enjoyed in the past. Um, there are so many cognitive things that you can do with people to maintain their memory skills for as long as possible. And um, different dementias affect people in different ways but really tailoring that support to someone in those early stages is going to have a huge impact on their prognosis Um, so that's the sort of thing that I would like to do Um, and hopefully if he would be in agreement to document it um, along the way to share that experience with the wider population just so that people know that they're not on their own. It's
0: it's such a tragic story, this, isn't it? And obviously, look, we we know that dementia is a significant issue. You know, I've had um, vascular dementia with my uh, grandmother. Um, uh, And uh, these are significant, significant issues. And it's going to sound tragic, this Tilly, but I almost wish that I hadn't seen my grandmother the last time that I saw her. And it's awful to say that it really is, but. No,
1: I get that. You know, my my
0: grandmother, she was the matriarch of the family. This is my maternal grandmother, my mother's mother. And, you know, she was always so quick-witted and so astute. And me and her used to sit down. And I used to love my grandmother because we would sit down and I would just, we would just criticize people. Sounds sounds really harsh to (laughs) say. You know what I'm like? You know what I'm like, till you know me? Me and her would just sit sit down and we're just like, criticized family members, almost just like gossiping. And my grandmother was the only person that I really, like, loved to gossip with, because, like, you know, I don't really like a gossip in other ways. Like, with my grandmother, we just sit down and be like, oh, what's this cousin doing? What's that aunt doing? What's this cousin doing? What are these doing? we just find people. She, she hated Angela Merkel. We always used to get her onto Merkel, and she would hate Merkel, and it would always be this and that. And, you know, she was such an astute person, and the last time that I saw her... Um, she was in a local cottage hospital not far from where she lived. So it was nice that, you know, she was able to, you know, move on there. Um, but yeah, she was um she was in the bed and she was curled up like a baby. She was literally curled up in a fetal position like a little baby in it. Have you seen the film Benjamin Button?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, when
0: Benjamin ends his life and he's like he's like old, but he's like a baby again. Mm-hmm. That's when he's born. You know, when he's born. When he's born. Yeah he's like old, but he's like a little baby. That's what she was like. And you know, dementia, it it robbed her of her soul. It didn't just take her body, it didn't take her health, it didn't take her life, it just gradually seeped her soul out of her. And it is look, all obviously all the illnesses are absolutely tragic and awful. But for me, in terms of what I've had loved ones experience, you know, particularly those very close to me. You know, when my dad passed away, it was it was through aggressive cancer. And, you know, I saw him one night and he couldn't really speak that well, but it was still him. He was still him. Mm-hmm. The night before he died, he was still him. And the next day, he just wasn't here anymore. He'd gone, he'd moved on. And that, my regret is that I didn't get to spend the night with him, but it was in COVID times and you really couldn't. And that, you know, I, it's one thing that I hate the government for. I'll never forgive them for that is, you know, there was that impression that, a virus would have affected a healthy young man like me to the point where I couldn't have spent the night with my dying father, but that's a debate for another time. But with my, so with my dad, I didn't really feel it. I didn't really feel that loss of who he was because right up until the, the, you know, the night that I last saw him and the morning that he passed, he was still him. He, even when I saw him after he'd passed, as he was lying in his hospital bed, he was still him. But my grandma, Dorothy, she wasn't her anymore. She was someone else. And and that memory she's striking. And I speak to my mother about it just the other day, actually. Um, when we have going to see the puppies, she was just mentioning it because we try and keep the uh, the memories of grandma alive. Whenever I'm there, we'll talk about and talk about granddad as well. It keeps the memories alive by remembering them. That you know, if we if we can keep talking about them, it, it holds them with us. And obviously, she'd seen my grandmother for several days after I'd last seen her. And she'd seen a decline even further and further from that point and that, that loss of everything that she was and just a sort of a living shell left behind of who she was, but still living and gradually seeing that creep and decline. So the fact that this is coming out with, you know, a movie tough guy like Bruce Willis, I mean, God, Bruce Willis, die hard. I mean, like this is Bruce Willis, you know, this is a, you know, an an 80s action superhero, you know, uh, a proper man, so to speak, in the traditional sense. Um, Credit to his family for talking about it, Tilly, because they didn't need to. There was no pressure on them to talk about that, was there?
1: No, not at all. And it is, as you were just talking there, it is. A loss that you go through in in multiple stages with dementia when you first get diagnosed and as that person slips away, and then they can turn into something that is is not them at all, but they're still alive and you're still interacting with them. And that is what families struggle with the most when they're when their person becomes aggressive or angry or dismissive of them or or highly anxious or whatever it is, and that's not them and that's not who they've been throughout their life, but it just, it robs you of your soul, just like you said.
0: So trying to do this in as least crass, as most sensitive way as possible, what we're we going to do for Bruce and his family.
1: I mean, starting off with providing support to his wife and his children, um, support with them in their caring role. Um, his children may be young carers and, Providing that information, advice and guidance to them to support Bruce through that would be vital in those initial stages. Um, and just being that listening ear and providing that emotional support um, when things are, are tough is really important. But then the practical things as well, supporting them with that that those things like setting up powers of attorney, advanced mm-hmm. decisions, all of those things that are going to make The future journey that little bit easier um so a bit of a bit of a mixed bag but um hopefully would make the process easier for for bruce and his loved ones
0: yeah and just being there for them because um with with a disease like that it's just mitigating it isn't it
1: exactly no one's going to recover from that you don't get better you can you can prolong things and delay things sometimes but it's it's supporting someone through that journey which is inevitably going to lead to to their their death so it's a it's a horrendous process to go through but that is where the power of social work can really make that positive difference whether it's that emotional support or that practical support just that listening ear sometimes that's where we come into our elements and that's what we're we're trained to do. Can
0: I ask you a question about your experiences of this in work, Tilly, my friend?
1: Of course you can.
0: Do you think that witnessing terrible illness like you do at work, and you've witnessed it many times, you support people through that? Do you think that will make you more steeled for it and readily able to deal with it in your personal life when it comes? or not does it help like do you ever look at these things and think this is a bit grim now that's why I wanted to ask permission do you ever look at those things and think well does it worry you for your personal life and your parents or do you think it potentially would make that easier if that grim and harrowing reality ever came to pass as we would all fear
1: oh that's a really good question and a bit of both I think because knowledge is power and in social work we get to understand the systems that we work in we know how to get the people that we support the best possible services because we know what's out there we have all of that information at our fingertips and that is going to inevitably take away that stress of trying to navigate a really complicated system Um, but at the same time you're not a social worker when you're at home uh, with your family, or or at least we try not to be. And I think I am so much more patient at work than I am in my personal life. And all of those things that we talk about, like unconditional positive regard and understanding and um, compassion and empathy, that can become really difficult when you're faced with trials and tribulations in your personal life. And I think it's it's prepared me in some way that I know what would happen. Um, but then, can you ever really be ready for that? It's something that none of us really want to think about, is it? But it it, it could happen, and it's it's very likely to happen. Sometimes, is it fifty percent of people will end up getting dementia? It's it's a huge statistic. Um, so it, it, it's highly likely that it will affect me in my personal life, and and certainly I, I've had um my grandmother she had alzheimer's um I mean I was a teenager when she had it but um and she died from it and knowing what I know now and knowing what I knew and and my family knew back then it would certainly help if I had all of that knowledge about how to navigate a really complicated system um because that is stressful for families services are not set up well Um, for people they they don't they're not very forthcoming and it's always a a higher and higher thresholds due to resort lack of resources and budget constraints so knowing how to fight for someone is going to give you a lot of of power but as I say it's it's never going to be easy when it's someone that you love
0: it's sometimes hard, isn't it? It's hard in social work because you wonder, well, is ignorance bliss? Is it, is it good that I am steeled to the hardship of life and therefore, even if it doesn't come to pass this grim reality that others face, then I perhaps may be more prepared if such a fate does happen to myself or one of my loved ones or... Is it better to live in ignorance and then hope it doesn't pass and when it does come to pass these horrific things, you deal with them as and when and you don't suffer twice. You already suffer in reality and not in imagination.
1: It's a bit of both, I think, isn't it? it it's good to be prepared um, to know what is going to happen or could happen. But yeah, you, you don't want to dwell on it too much. I think it, it's it's better to take the positives from it. Um, like I've had so many privileged conversations with people that are dying that have reflected back on their lives and, and talked about their fears and hopes and dreams that have either happened or haven't happened and their regrets that have, have, have happened and what they think about what's going to happen when they die. I've had a lot of those conversations with people and that is always a privilege and it's something that I love um, to do in my job it's it's a it's an amazing thing to be part of that process with someone yet equally is very harrowing and traumatic and not pleasant at all but I suppose it makes you grateful for the fact that we're here now and healthy and it try it encourages you to live life to the full
0: well wow. It's been an intense end for what was going to be a bit of a a light topic. We've ended up quite.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that, Vince. (laughs) Oh,
0: well, this is, this is, this is is where we go, but I think it's good that we can take these things as starter points and lead them into heartfelt, important conversations. So hopefully you've enjoyed that too, my friend.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's been a good topic to, uh, to talk about. And, um, are we setting up our celebrity social work office then? What, what's our plan we are. for, we are. for I'm setting up, for it. up on Hollywood Boulevard? We okay. are.
0: We're going to, we're going, we are going to set up our, um, we'll set it up like a, a law firm. I'll pee it in Baden. A Baden, Baden-Pee, it sounds better, doesn't it? Baden-Pee, it's better, it's stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the Bait the Baden P at Practice. Oh my God, that sounds good. The BPB. So that's it. We are setting up the Baden P at Practice on Hollywood Boulevard, and we are accepting referrals. So, my friends and listeners, get them in. Um, I'd say I'll be back next week, but who knows? I might be uh, I might be starting my life at 40 uh with the baden P at practice on Hollywood Boulevard. How does that sound, Tilly?
1: Yeah, especially if we can get you a, a mention of Kanye West's album and start the royalties coming in, we'll be rolling in money. Oh, yeah,
0: fighting biting <laughs> my fist of anticipation right now as we speak. Um, well, listeners, thank you, as always, for tuning in. I'll be back next week at 40 Year Old, and Teddy will be here with me, and we're going to have a rip-roaring weekend. Until next time, please, consider, please do leave a review. It would be a lovely birthday present. If you could leave a review on this podcast, that would be a wonderful... Birthday present for me. Um, do consider leaving a review, subscribe, and uh, yeah, hit us up on social media channels and check out any stories you've mentioned over at mysocialworknews.com. All the pleas and plugs out of the way, it is time to say goodbye from me.
1: And it's goodbye from me.